the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As a constitutional law attorney, former senior legal advisor and personal counsel to President Donald J. Trump, Jenna Ellis believes in the rule of law and the importance of integrity in our elections. And she's ready to tackle the big cultural and legal issues facing America. This is The Jenna Ellis Show. Here is your host, Jenna Ellis. Welcome to Thursday on The Jenna Ellis Show. I am Jenna Ellis, and I am so excited to have uh, my good friend, James O'Keefe, who is the president of Project Veritas on the show today. As you've seen, there have been um, a number of Pfizer whistleblowers, and this is huge. I think actually one of the most important stories that Project Veritas has ever uh, dropped because there are so many questions and so much misinformation and so much censorship around these issues. So we're going to talk about these whistleblowers, why this is so important, Um, but I want to also start with uh, talking about my good friends at Legacy Precious Metals. Uh, They're a company that you can trust to give you good patient counsel for your personal situation when now is the time for Americans to take steps to protect our finances and our retirements. And so when times are turbulent, you need an asset that protects you. And that's why I believe in investing in gold and trust my friends at Legacy Precious Metals. Their team of experts has decades of experience helping Americans like you and me make the right decisions for ourselves and our families. So call Legacy Precious Metals today at 866 888-1903. That's 866-528-1903. Or visit them online at LegacyPMInvestments.com and download their free investor's guide. So very excited to have James O'Keefe here. And before we get to his interview, I want to just play a little bit of the audio from uh, some of these videos. You need to go to uh, to Twitter. I've shared them. Um, some of the Project Veritas uh, insiders and uh, their staff have shared them. Of course, James is one of those people and Project Veritas as a whole that has been censored from Twitter. But thankfully, there are still platforms uh, that you can listen to these videos, but you got to hear this audio. Listen to this. I work at a pharmaceutical company. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Um, I just believe in research and science. Well, in this database, you came across a chain of emails discussing fetal tissue and the COVID vaccine. Vanessa Gelman, who works in Washington, D.C., is Senior Director of Worldwide Research. The question came up as an inquiry to our MedInfo group. They're asking, quote, did Pfizer make use of a cell line from an aborted fetus? They want you to leave out the highlighted part, which is the one or more cell lines with an origin that can be traced back to human fetal tissue has been used in laboratory tests associated with the vaccine program. And here we have your badge. You are an employee of Pfizer? I work at the McPherson, Kansas plant. Um, it's one of the biggest plants in the operation of Pfizer. We produce some of the most units. This message from Vanessa Gilman. From the perspective of corporate affairs, we want to avoid having the information on the fetal cell lines floating out there. We believe that the risk of communicating this right now outweighs any potential benefit that we could see, particularly with general members of the public who may take this information and use it in ways we may not want it out there. 
We have not received any questions from policymakers or media on this issue in the last few weeks, so we want to avoid raising this if possible. Wow. Philip Dormitzer, Vice President, Chief Scientific Officer. These are not low-level people here. So you're showing us emails between the Vice President of Pfizer, the Senior Director of Worldwide Research, mm -hmm. about how to couch it a certain way because we would not want to tell the people that it can be traced back to human fetal tissue. Copying Vanessa Gelman, we have an approved answer to this question, the question being about fetal tissue, mm -hmm. which Vanessa can probably provide, H-E-K-2932. What does that mean, HEC? Uh, human embryo kidney cells, and okay. it was from experiment 293. And the T actually means something as well. Um, they're more likely cancerous cells. So you're telling me, based upon this correspondence, that Pfizer, the pharmaceutical company, is using human fetal tissue from aborted fetuses in their vaccines? In the very least of producing them, yes. In producing the vaccines, they've used cells from aborted fetuses. Yes, and they don't cells. want the public to know that. Yes, and and that that's staggering for society because of what you said, religious exemptions. Mm -hmm. And they're denying our religious exemptions at Pfizer. This is serious stuff you're you're, you're dealing with. I mean, these are these are powerful people, and a very powerful company. They're withholding knowledge on people's approval if they can consent or not. From Sarah Elizabeth Weiser, the principal scientist. Uh, she's just making sure, you know, uh, just be clear, you would like medical information to reply with the text in red below, including the highlighted section. Okay. Thanks again. And then they responded, responded with, with No, I would prefer that we do not use <laughs> the text in yellow. Um, they're being so deceptive in their emails, it's almost like it is in the final vaccine. It just made me not trust it. The first time I ever handled the product myself, I noticed that it glowed when it was uh, held up, and I thought that that was odd considering we don't have any other product um, that looks like that. According to things I know, it could only be luciferous or graphene oxide, but I'm being told both of those aren't in there. That was a product that was actually administered to the public? Yes. There was an issue with the FDA. and I heard something about they're doing some sort of tests in there with lights, but I'm not sure. And I said, in unoccupied rooms and in a group lead office? And he goes, well, the FDA is coming. I could not believe that they were blacking out windows down in our manufacturing rooms. That's what do you think the it. one thing they're trying to hide in those rooms is, though? I couldn't tell you. I honestly have no idea. Protocol to... to no, we are told that you should be seen at all times, that we need to make sure that yeah. um, we have high integrity and... The, the rooms that are like this one where you can see my reflection, it's a group lead office mm -hmm. where they just do the paperwork for the batches. Mm. So why does that need blacked out? And why did you decide to come to Project Veritas? Because I felt it was the right thing to do. I feel like I have no one else to turn to when my own company won't be honest with me. What I was told to do was to trust Project Veritas and to go with you guys by lawmakers, by lawyers. Really? I was really genuinely traumatized and sickened from the things I saw, and I needed to leave there. So I just took a leave of absence so that I could gather my thoughts and really kind of heal from this information. The extraordinary act of blowing the whistle on the company and publishing emails from their vice president is another step entirely. Are you, are you afraid of doing this? A little bit. I, I have faith that I'll be protected or whatever the outcome is is what it's supposed to be. So I, I'm at peace with it. I'm a little anxious on what they'll do or what they'll say, but 
it needs to be seen by the people because they're trying to get this to kids. And if they're being this deceptive about it, I don't feel comfortable being silent. And joining me now is my good friend, James O'Keefe. And uh, he, of course, is with Project Veritas. And uh, James, you know, we just played a lot of this sound from a video that uh, you guys just dropped last night about another Pfizer whistleblower. I think that this is probably the most important story that Project Veritas uh, has had coming up because there's been so much misinformation uh, intentionally around uh, the COVID vaccine. And now that they're saying in this video that they're trying to suppress the information about the fetal stem cell research, that is the basis of a lot of religious exemptions. So uh, talk about this video and why this is so important. Well, this, this video features a whistleblower from Pfizer, and there's uh, emails that have been released. One of the emails, it says, general members of the public who may take this information and use it in ways we may not want it out there, avoiding raising this if possible. This is the vice president of Pfizer. This is the uh, uh, woman named Vanessa uh, Gelman, senior director of worldwide research, development, and medical communications at Pfizer. And he, human fetal-derived cells... Um, uh, in, in these communications, they're discussing fetal cells, and she says, don't tell the public about this. So these are, these are smoking gun admissions from executives at Pfizer about the vaccine, about how it's developed, and uh, they don't want the public to know about this. And, and this is a whistleblower on the record at Pfizer uh, discussing these issues. And we think this is the most powerful video we've done yet coming on the heels of the first Pfizer video, which showed a Pfizer scientist saying that antibodies are more effective than the vaccine. Yeah, and so this, again, I mean, the the fetal stem cell research goes to a lot of the religious exemptions uh, that people have been filing for. Um, full disclosure, I've helped uh, some clients uh, file for religious exemptions based exactly on this. And so this is why this is so explosive, because if Pfizer is intentionally trying to hide this, it means that they're trying intentionally to coerce people and to coerce companies not to uh, to provide religious exemptions on the basis of uh, fetal stem cell research. And then, um, and so James, you know, this type of information um, is so incredibly important. And I think that the biggest deal about this is that they're trying to hide this from the public. And you have actual Pfizer people. I mean, we've known that there are stem cell research uh, that's going on and that that was part of uh, what developed the mRNA technology. We also know from the first video um, that you guys showed that Project Veritas dropped on Monday that uh, Pfizer is obviously benefiting financially from these vaccine mandates where natural immunity antibodies don't give them any financial benefit. But the big deal about this is now that it's Pfizer insiders explaining that they are aware of this and that this is intentional on behalf of the company. So how does this change the game in terms of the information that is coming from Pfizer and in your estimation, uh, the vaccine mandates as a whole? Well, I mean, you know, I believe that uh, reality, uh, to change reality, we have to precisely describe reality. In other words, in order to make informed decisions, we have to know what's going on. I, I don't have a position on the vaccine. Our society has become so divided that we've almost, it's no longer, we don't live in a republic that is uh, governed by the principle of the First Amendment anymore because everyone has their fidelity to whatever outcome they want and they almost have a religious view on this uh, vaccine, whether it's pro or against. I'm not actually taking a position on the vaccine. What I am taking a position on is liars, cheats, and frauds. 
you should not lie to consumers. It's consumer fraud. And again, this is Philip, Philip Dormitzer, the vice president of Pfizer. These are not low-level people. These are the most important people at Pfizer in these documents. And I'm going to, re again, read it to you. Um, it says, quote, no, I would prefer we do not use the text in yellow. The text in yellow says, quote, one or more cell lines with an origin that can be traced back to human fetal tissue uh, used in laboratory tests associated with the vaccine program. So this is in writing now from Vanessa Gelman to Phil Dormitzer, both executives at Pfizer, saying they don't want the public to know that. And they're saying there's no benefit in the public knowing that, when clearly there is a benefit in the public knowing this. In fact, the implications here are magnanimous when people are trying to get religious exemptions and are denied. And, of course, if there is any justice under the law or any fidelity to the Constitution, the implications are astounding uh, if people knew this information that they're saying they want to hide. Some people will say, well, it's already public information that fetal cells are used, et cetera, et cetera. Well, then my response to that is, why are these people trying to keep this private? That's the question. They should be hauled before Congress. Lawmakers, Democrats and Republicans, should, should, should ask them, you know, it's illegal to perjure yourself, so they should be asked under oath why they're trying to keep this from the public. Yeah, absolutely. And this is why it's so uh, such important work that Project Veritas is doing, because uh, like you, and I'm glad that you said this, um, I don't have a position either on the vaccine as a whole. I think that um, it's an individual decision and that obviously uh, if we look at the principles of our U.S. Constitution, the powers and the lack thereof, frankly, of the powers of the federal government to implement a vaccine mandate, and if you follow the money here, which goes directly to Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, and others, there are obvious financial reasons why uh, they're wanting to suppress this information. And so it's not about the fact that, you know, you're pro-vaccine or anti-vax. This is all about the truth and also getting the information out there to people so that they can make the best informed decision for themselves and their families. And also because if we have this coercive nature of even just asking these questions, I mean, this is really all about censorship of not just misinformation, but even being able to ask these questions. So many people have been suspended off of social media platforms. Um, you know, you're one of them who um, have just asked questions and people are- Well, I also, I also quote people. So I'm, right. I mean, it's a, that's called investigative reporting. I mean, I, I quote people behind closed doors. Um, so we're living in a dystopian reality right now. It's, it's not no longer a conspiracy theory to say this. It's, it, it is the reality that I was banned from Twitter for quoting a guy from CNN saying that his network is propaganda. <laughs> Question remains, why didn't Jack Dorsey ban the guy making the statement? I'm just quoting the guy. Right. Um, and you might say, well, this, th th these people are not being honest. No, no, no. These emails show multiple executives within Pfizer, and, and I think the most powerful statement here is Vanessa's Gelman saying, quote, we want to avoid having the information floating out there. They even express concern that people are going to be upset about it on Facebook. I mean, the irony here is palpable because there's a Facebook whistleblower this week. They call her a whistleblower, but she wanted more censorship on Facebook. So... 60 Minutes will only do stories if the stories uh, promote the symbiotic relationship between pharma, tech, and media. And that's not what investigative journalism is about. Investigative journalism is about making public what powerful people want to keep secret from you. I mean, this is an extraordinary story. And I think it will inspire a lot more people to go public because what I'm seeing in society right now is that 
what the information we're presented on on television, on our social media news feeds, is so different than what you see when you're inside of of, of pharma, or you're a border patrol agent, or you're uh, inside of a federal government. What you're seeing portrayed is so different than the reality that it's inspiring insiders to give up their jobs and livelihoods to inform their fellow man. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the one silver lining to this dystopian reality we find ourselves in. And I hope that Congress, I know, I know that Congress will do something about this. Mm-hmm. I think that there will be justice uh, because I believe in the power of the truth. I believe in the power of illumination. You have to believe that light will defeat darkness. And now that we have these emails and these statements and these documents on the record, I believe there will be justice. I hope so. And I think that's really encouraging. And you're right. I mean, this type of investigative journalism is why the press is protected under the First Amendment, because these are exactly the types of things that need to come to light so that powerful people, whether in government or private companies, uh, can't hide anymore. And so I hope that people like Senator Rand Paul, like Congressman Thomas Massey, I mean, they've been really champions about the truth of this, this vaccine. I hope that they will, uh, they and others will then uh, take this and actually haul in some of these people um, from Pfizer and other of these big pharma companies before Congress. Um, what has been the reaction just in the last um, you know, few days since Monday to this interview? I mean, I think it's really been interesting to see how all the attention of mainstream media has been on this so-called Facebook whistleblower, but not really on this much more important dramatic story. What are you seeing as the reaction to it? I think people, want it, people believe what they want to believe. And that's, what's, you know, that's what H.L. Uh, Mencken said, you know, 80 years ago, 100 years ago. People believe what they want to believe. So people want to, people want to hear what they want to hear. And sometimes the truth is, 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 is so damning that people don't want to hear it. So the, the, the so-called Facebook whistleblower is telling, is, is just saying what the New York Times and tech people and ideologues that are, that are pro-censorship want to hear. But when you have all these other whistleblowers, like the Pfizer scientists saying antibodies are stronger than the vaccine, that was what we recorded. That's an extraordinary omission from a scientist, a master's degree in neuroscience from University of Albany, and a scientist for Pfizer saying that you don't need the vaccine if you've gotten COVID because um, your antibodies are such, and, 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 you're not, and you're not allowed to make that statement on Facebook without being censored. Um, but the scientists inside Pfizer are saying it. So it, it, really, is, it really is from 1984. It's, it's an example of Orwell's doublethink, you know, to tell del- deliberate lies while genuinely believing in them, to forget inconvenient facts and then draw them from oblivion, you know, to deny the existence of objective reality. This is objective scientific reality stated by a Pfizer scientist. So to answer your question, the reaction has been, this has been the, one of the most watched videos in Project Veritas history, five million views on Twitter. I'm banned on Twitter, uh, uh, Jenna, and I'm suing Twitter. <laughs> and our videos are trending on Twitter. I think that's the power of this distribution by proxy, that everyone else is uploading the, the clips into their tweets, and there's nothing that CEO Jack Dorsey can do about it. I think it's a very, a very powerful moment. 
Yeah, so everyone needs to share these videos because they can't censor all of us. Um, I share everything that your people and that you send me, James, because I, I really appreciate all of the work that you do. And these are just asking the questions. This is showing the truth. And so um, so what's next now? What are the next steps that Project Veritas is going to take with relation to Pfizer uh, just in the last uh, about minute that we have here? Well, we're taking it a day at a time because there's so many whistleblowers coming to us. Um, That's great. I would say that the, you know there are other people within Pfizer that are talking to us, um, and we have other people in the federal government talking to us. People in the CDC are talking to us. So it's about telling their stories and about all of you watching to distribute by proxy. So the best thing to do is go to our Telegram page uh, and download these minute-long clips and upload them. Upload them to your Instagram page, and again... It was, are you, am I worried about being banned from Facebook? I, I, I'm not worried about that at all. I, my, my message to Mark Zuckerberg is, you know, if you want to ban me for quoting Pfizer scientists behind closed doors, please do. Uh, history will not remember this moment fondly. Um, I don't care if I get banned because I believe if they cut my tongue out right now, it's just going to make the stories even bigger. And also, we are suing CNN, we're suing Twitter, and we're suing the New York Times for defamation, and we're winning that defamation lawsuit against the New York Times. In fact, uh, multiple judges in New York State have allowed that case to get to the discovery phase of litigation. So you have to be really careful uh, uh, how, you, how you play with Project Veritas, because we fight back. And uh, all of you are very important in, in disseminating these videos and getting the reality out there. Uh, projectveritas.com. Go to our Telegram page, download the clips, and distribute them. Awesome. Well, James O'Keefe, continue doing what you're doing, and you are a champion and warrior for truth. And uh, Jared Ede, who's your counsel I've had on the show many times, he's fantastic, doing a great job with the New York Times lawsuit. I'm following that hugely with interest. I think it's amazing and awesome that you guys have gotten to that point where there will be discovery in that case. So thanks so much for your time today and looking forward to continuing to share everything that you guys put out. Thanks. Thank you. All right, well, it is time for holiday cleaning. Before you replace your carpets due to pet stains and odors, you must try Genesis 950. The reviews are amazing as this is one product that works. With water, it breaks down the bonds of stains and odors so they're gone for good. Its antibacterial component removes pet odors from carpet and padding. It can be used in a carpet cleaning machine and it's green so it's safe for your family and pets. Genesis 950 is also made in America. So if you are tired of pet cleaners that don't work, it's time to buy Genesis 950. One gallon of industrial strength makes up to seven gallons of cleaner. Genesis 950 is great for bathrooms, kitchens, floors, upholstery, and grease stains. It's also the perfect holiday gift for pet owners. Genesis 950 has great customer service, always willing to help with your particular problem. So order one gallon direct at Genesis950.com to receive a free spray bottle, free shipping, and a $10 coupon using code Jenna. That's J-E-N-N-A, and that's Genesis950.com. So now I'm going to welcome in my very dear friend, my big brother, the guy who loves to sometimes, you know, make fun of me, but in a very good-natured way. Always appreciate him so much. Eric Metaxas, welcome, my friend. It's great to see you. Welcome to the Salem family, my dear Thank friend. Thank you. Thank you. It's so great to be here. And I have loved joining your show for the past, I mean, I think it's been like four or five years now. Yeah. And um, so it's really great to now have you on my show and get to talk about life and culture. And now your brand new book that is called, and you know, you held it up earlier. So let's show everyone at home, Is Atheism Dead? 
Um, this, of course, I think is a play on the maxim, is God dead? And that, of course, was a question uh, quite a while ago in culture. I think it's still kind of a question today. But what is the premise of this book and why is it timely right now? Well, it's pretty simple. And first of all, Jenna, I'm going to say that I've literally never been nearly as excited about a book. Never. I am bursting over this book. Um, the premise is simple. In 1966, there was a famous Time magazine cover article that said, Is God Dead? The premise being that, hey, you know what? Uh, all the evidence seems to say that science is pushing God out, that reason and science are are emerging uh, and and human beings are coming into the adulthood of our species and we're leaving behind the childish world of faith, right? So in 1966, they come out with this article and that narrative that God is passe, that religion is no longer a thing among the cognoscenti, the intellectual class, that idea has held roughly since the 60s. Uh, basically, it entered mainstream culture so that anytime evidence came in for the existence of God, it was pretty much batted away. It's kind of like, you know what, we've, we've really answered that question, and some weird people can still believe in that, but, you know, the intelligent people, educated people, we don't take it very seriously. Well, I came to faith pretty dramatically in 1988, and since then have been keeping track of astonishing evidence from the world of science, from the world of archaeology and other things, pointing us to belief in God. Now, my faith in God is solid. It's not dependent on the information that I bumped into it, but I thought, we live in a culture where you never seem to see this information, or if you do, it just goes away quickly. Um, I remember uh, in the early 90s seeing the New York Times actually published an article about the discovery of the Tel Dan Steel. This was a steel, a military steel discovered that mentioned the House of David. So for the first time in the history, in modern history, a name from the Bible, King David, who had been thought to be a mythical figure like, you know, uh, King Arthur and the Round Table, suddenly archaeology proves, oh no, what the Bible says happened 1000 BC. Yeah, he was a real guy, a real king. Here it's in stone. Every once in a while, I'd notice something like that. And over the years, I thought, it's beginning to get overwhelming. The evidence keeps pointing in that direction, but nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about the scientific evidence. Mm -hmm. So I said, isn't it time to ask the question, not is God dead, but is atheism dead? Because if you actually look at the facts today, and again, there's a great irony that science has over the last few decades piled up evidence for the existence of a creator that, that I consider to use a legal term, dispositive, or even more than dispositive. To use uh, a, a term like that makes it sound like it's a judgment call. It's almost incontrovertible. The level of evidence, the welter of evidence, becomes so staggering that if you look at it, and I put most of it in the book, it's really impossible to be an atheist. You could say, I'm, I'm an agnostic. You can say, that's not enough. I have questions. I hate Christians. I hung out with them, and they were really bad people. You, you can think what you want, but to say you're an atheist, uh, as people like Christopher Hitchens did and Richard Dawkins, it becomes, at this point, intellectually sloppy and untenable. And I make that case in the book. The evidence from science is sick. I, I never dreamt it would, that I would live to see this kind of evidence. The evidence from archaeology is sick. And then the third part of the book, 
uh, first science, then archaeology, and the third part of the book, I deal with atheism itself. What does the record of atheism say? People who have been atheists, who've taken it seriously, uh, cultures, societies, countries that have enforced atheism, what do they look like? Hmm. I didn't ever think it would be this open and shut. But when you look at it, if you're honest, you say, I simply don't think atheism is possible anymore. People can claim to be atheists, just like people claim to believe the earth is flat or nobody ever landed on the moon. You can believe what you want. It's a free country. But I don't think you can be taken seriously. At this point, I think you have to retreat to agnostic if you want to be taken seriously. Yeah, and there's another legal term that comes to mind, which is beyond any and all reasonable doubt. And that's not 100% certainty, but on the scale and the spectrum of proof, saying that if you have a doubt that's reasonable, then maybe you hesitate to firmly fix your belief in uh, whatever the proof theorem is that you are trying uh, to get others to appreciate. But when you actually say beyond reasonable doubt, that's what I think you're describing here, Eric, because as science, true genuine science continues to progress, we continue to have these archaeological advances, we continue to see um, all kinds of evidence for the reliability of the inerrancy and sufficiency of scripture. It really is overwhelming. And, you know, our, one of our good friends, um, Jay Warner Wallace, wrote a book, Cold Case Christianity, um, that has, you know, a very similar um, idea in terms of saying, you know, as a cold case homicide detective, he went back and looked at the evidence just simply for the resurrection of Jesus Christ as if it was a cold case. And as you're describing this very important question, you know, culture today, I think, does raise science as actually the new God of our era to say, well, science explains everything. But you can't just take science apart from a creator and apart from all of these existential and moral questions. Science isn't going to inform us on the basis of morality and who we are, that, that's where a good, we're that's going. That's exactly what I go into in the book. I call it the limits of science. We've grown up in a world where it acts as though scientists, you know, it's the new secular priesthood. Yes. And when you look into it, you think this makes literally no sense. I mean, if you want to say, I like scientists, I respect scientists, but the idea that they somehow have an inside track uh, on the truth it makes literally no sense. The, science is very limited. It can only tell you uh, about what is. It can only tell you about the material world. And I came up with a phrase that we don't live in a world that's only material. I say if matter is all that there is, there's nothing beyond this world. There's nothing transcendent. There's no such thing as love or goodness. If, if that is true, if matter is all there is, then nothing matters. So if matter is all there is, nothing matters means that if there's only matter, nothing I do or say has any meaning. And most people can't possibly stare into this bleak abyss of atheism, a world without God, that there's no meaning. The love I have for my wife, my daughter, my parents, that's just chemicals uh, randomly uh, used by this evolutionary process to get me to perpetuate the species. It has no actual meaning or transcendence. Most people can't handle that. And the reason you can't handle it is because it's like somebody says, like, Not try uh, to make a square circle. Just, mm -hmm. just try. It hurts your brain. 
because you say it just doesn't it doesn't well, work. We're yeah, created for meaning. And when somebody tells you there's no meaning and no God and no transcendence, everything inside you says uh, there's no way that's possible. So I can say I believe it, but viscerally, I, I know mm-hmm. it can't be right. Well, because, and the Bible tells us that the word of God is written on our hearts and the fact that we even contemplate meaning and it isn't just a bunch of chemical reactions shows, I mean, it, it's a, it's really a self-refuting sort of premise to say that um, in order to contemplate meaning, there is no meaning because no meaning itself would mean that no meaning is the meaning, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, so that doesn't even make sense whatsoever. And we know, as you just said, viscerally, it doesn't make sense with the reality to which we're presented. And Eric, I often will tell um, students and you know anywhere that I'm speaking, I'm not a Christian just because I believe in God. I mean, people can believe in Santa Claus. They can believe in the Tooth Fairy. They can believe whatever they want. You know, they can believe Biden's a great president. He's the most popular president ever, right? They can believe in all of these lies. That doesn't make that true. I'm a Christian not just because I believe in God, but because I believe that the biblical worldview and all of the facts, the history, and the truth that is taught in the Word of God is the best explanation for the reality to which we are presented and which I, as a human being, have to confront. Every human being has to answer life's most basic questions. Is there meaning? Who are we? Why are we here? Where are we going? What's my life's purpose? If there was no meaning, why would we ever even contemplate those types of questions? It's funny because I deal with that. The new atheists, I mean, it's the classic example. They raged and raged. And you think, excuse me, if what you're saying is true, why would you bother? On whose behalf? Why do you care about other people? Why do you care about yourself? Why do you care about what's true or not true? You don't even believe in such a thing as truth. Mm -hmm. You know, Jen, I got to tell you, though, there are things in this book from the world of science and the world of archaeology that are astonishing and they are new. Nobody has written about them. Mm. And that's why I'm bursting over this book, because I think people are going to kind of freak out they're going to say, how did I not know this? Just like I, when I discovered these things, I thought, how is it that everyone doesn't know this? Everyone, certainly people of faith, should all know this. Nobody seems to have heard of a few things that I put in the book. And, and I specifically put them in the book because we have to get the word out that the new evidence is just overwhelming. It's ridiculous. I mean, you and I believed before, five years ago, ten years ago, but like right now, I feel like I can take this book and give it to somebody who doesn't know what they think. And I'll say, just read this book and then let's have a conversation because I'll bet you you've never heard this stuff. Nobody talks about it. Can you give us a little preview? The culture. What's that? Can you give us a little preview of maybe something that's in there? Okay. All right. You twisted my arm. Well, I'll give you one from from the world. Uh, The reason I wrote the book, Is Atheism Dead?, is because of two people that I met. Uh, One has to do with the world of science and one has to do with the world of archaeology. The science... Uh, a guy, I'm going to have him on my radio program either this week or next week, uh, James Tour. I was in Houston, and a friend introduced me to him. He's probably the top nanoscientist on planet Earth. He manipulates molecules in the lab. He makes wow. molecules. It's a level of technology and genius that is just sick. So he knows more about what goes on on that level maybe than anybody on the planet, Right. And he is a believer, dramatic believer. And he said to me, do you know what abiogenesis is? And I said, no, what's that? He goes, well, that's the theory that four billion years ago, life emerged on Earth from non-life. And you think, 
yeah, that makes sense. That's what we're taught in school, except nobody ever really talks about it. But but everybody says that the first life, single cell, super um, primitive life emerged from non-life. So we're not talking about evolution because evolution can only happen if there is life. Life can evolve. Mm -hmm. But what about before life? How do you go from inert non-life to life? And this guy, James Tour, explained to me, since he knows more about this than anybody in the world, like they've been fudging this for 70 years. It was an experiment in 1952 where two University of Chicago students, you know, ran some electricity through what they said was the prebiotic soup. They got some amino acids and they said, boom, we're off to the races in 1952. Mm. We got amino acids. So that's the first step. And as the decades pass, we'll figure out the next step and the next step and the next step. And and here's the bottom line. It's been 70 years. They never figured out the next step. Mm. They haven't moved the ball a millimeter forward and James Tour says it's time to call you know let's call it in it's over what do we got we got nothing he says they are fudging it they pretend we're on the verge of it we've done all these studies he says the more we know now again science this is the uh, the thesis of the book which is very very counterintuitive science is working against the atheist narrative and for the theist, the God narrative science has shown us just on this issue. The more we know about what a single cell is as the 70 years have, have passed, we know more and more that the complexity of a cell is such that we wouldn't dream that this thing came out of being randomly through the sloshing of waters 4 billion years ago. It couldn't have happened. So I'm giving you the the brief version, but it's so dramatic. And you think to yourself, how come nobody ever talks about that? I mean, if you say to a scientist, you know, you believe life popped into being uh, single cells four billion years ago. Tell me, how did that happen? Right. They They don't know. And James Tour knows they don't know. And so Mm -hmm. I interviewed him for the book and he gives you the details of how complex it would be. And the odds are so astonishing. It would be it would be like, you know, flipping a coin heads over and over and over and over, like a billion times in a row, that's not going to happen. And we can't even, right. you know, flip it 20 times and in a row to land heads. It just doesn't why, happen. You know, there's, you have to have more faith, actually, to be an atheist. Definitely. Have more faith than to just believe what science shows and evidence is and to accept that there is a creator. And the only reason, Eric, that so many people want to be atheists is not because they genuinely believe that and there's so much evidence out there. It's because they're expressly denying, and as the Bible says, suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Well, see, that's right, and that's why I kind of think this is going to make some people uncomfortable because God is making it harder to pull that off. In other words, the new evidence in here, it's going to blow some people's minds. They thought, oh, we've got to figure it out. We figured out. Just ask them about that. There are three science things in the book. I won't go into them, but that one no one ever talks about. And I really think these chapters in the book are going to spark a conversation because it's game over. It's seven decades that we've been working on this. And he says, not only haven't we moved the ball forward a millimeter, we've moved the ball backwards by light years. It's just Mm -hmm. astonishing. So that's one big science thing. The biblical archaeology, I met a guy in uh, Albuquerque. I was preaching at Skip Heitzig's church. He says, oh, you got to meet my friend, Dr. Stephen Collins, biblical archaeologist. He discovered biblical Sodom. I said, what? What what, what are you talking about? Biblical Sodom, 1700 BC, Abraham, Lot was destroyed. He discovered it. And I thought, well, I haven't read about that. That hasn't been in the New York Times. What are you talking about? I look into it. Jenna, 
it's a kind of an amazing thing because you know you hear people oh i think they found noah's ark they found this that when i looked into this i said there's no maybe about this this is freaky stuff i wrote an article a couple of days ago in newsweek newsweek.com where i go into this because obviously it's incredible by the way that you're publishing in newsweek this because what's that it, that's incredible, actually, because typically Newsweek is not very friendly to Christians. So props to you for getting this into mainstream. I mean, what's so funny to me, the reason I wrote this article for Newsweek is that an article came out two weeks ago in one of the premier science journals in the world. Okay, a paper, a peer-reviewed paper came out. It was the work of 21 scientists, 21 authors who did research and analysis going back 10 plus years on what my friend Stephen Collins found in what we say is biblical Sodom. They analyzed that these are secular scientists and they said exactly what they determined happened with all the science that they bring to this over years is consonant with the description in Genesis. I mean, it is a level of evidence for the Bible that I didn't think I would see this in my lifetime, or maybe I did, but now that it's here, I can't get over it. And I'm, I'm, I'm barely giving you the details, but the, the, the bottom line is that this is one of the most, you know, ancient things in scripture. This is 1700 BC. It's the first few pages of Genesis. Mm -hmm. We now have evidence and you know, the evidence is crazy stuff. When he dug there, the place that he, first of all, how did he find the place? He found the place by reading the scripture and saying the scripture says, if Sodom is, is still findable, it's got to be right here. And he went there and he found, sure enough, what they call a, a tell, a gigantic mound, which was a city upon a city upon a city upon a city. They excavated and they find at 1700 BC, a layer of soot five feet deep. And scientists say there is nothing to explain how this could be here the the idea of a volcano a fire uh military burning what there is nothing earthquake nothing the only thing that it could be and they say this is what it is is what they call a cosmic airburst event mm -hmm. that means a meteor traveling about thirty-five thousand miles an hour breaks through our atmosphere this almost never happens by the way and if it happens uh, it happened in tunguska siberia in 1908 uh it comes in about 180 feet in diameter. Now you think that's tiny when you think of the size of Earth, right? This meteor explodes over Tunguska, Siberia with the power of 1,000 Hiroshima bombs. Wow. The temperature is initially 300,000 degrees, which is like, sounds like you're making it up. It flattened 80 million trees in Siberia instantly. Now, we know that happened. So the scientists looking into what happened at uh, Tel uh, Naman, or I can't remember the, which Tel this is, but when they discovered this, they said that's the only explanation mm -hmm. of what we see here. There's none other. And they found a piece of pottery exactly from the era, 1700 BC. In fact, Dr. Collins is a ceramic typologist. He knows this stuff instantly. He looks at it, he flips it over. It's got this green glassy glaze on it. And he says, well, that, nobody had technology to do that till like 750 AD, 24 centuries later. How did this happen? Mm -hmm. So that's part of this whole thing. They take it to the lab and the lab says, there's only one explanation. It had to be exposed to extremely intense heat, like 4,000 degrees uh, Fahrenheit 
for like 25 seconds. That's the only explanation for how pottery could begin to melt. And you add this up, even the, the soot, uh, the five feet level of, 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 of soot, five foot deep, is, it, he says it's like a Cuisinart, like they're bits of melted brick and, and bits of melted charred bone, tiny bits. No one has ever seen anything like it. And so these 21 scientists laboring on this, not people of faith, come up with a conclusion. So I said, I've got to write about it in Newsweek, but obviously it's much more detail uh, in my book. But the point is that when you think that we've discovered biblical Sodom and that the facts are so dramatic, because I'm giving you just like t you know a few details, but you begin to wonder what else is there? And so in the book, I kind of give a, a, a smorgasbord of, of what are the greatest hits of biblical archeology. span And it is just, it's astonishing. This is the most dramatic and the, the most recent uh, and it's the one that nobody's heard about. But a well, lot of the other stuff heard about it heard clearly about. because if there is no other explanation, then of course the mainstream media and the atheists and the people who want to excise God from culture don't want to talk about it because there is no other rational explanation. And so I'm glad that you're bringing these things uh, to light, Eric. And I just love how God consistently. Uh, shows himself. And the more that we learn about the empirical world around us, the more we learn about history, about science, about philosophy, about anything uh, really that's in our material world, we learn and it evidences the truth about the spiritual world. And that's why Christians can't be afraid of science or to say, you know, well, I just have faith and I don't need to know about the rest. Well, no, we are taught in scripture as well that we need to grow in both the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And that means to know him, to know the world and the universe that he's presented us to have a, an explanation and a defense for our faith. Um, you know, as first Peter three talks about having a hope um, and a defense for the hope that lies within us. And so this is a wonderful book that you're putting forward that provides this type of defense that is now current. It's contemporaneous with modern culture. And I think especially for young people um, who are seeing things like in the area of science when it deals with topics like pro-life. I mean, we are really the pro-life generation because students are starting to see that the scientific evidence for life beginning at conception, for unborn life, that, you know, going back, I'm convinced, Eric, that if the 1973 Roe Court were sitting today, they would hold very differently, literally just because of the science. So this is I, so important. I agree with you. I feel, again, this is the thesis of the book, science, this is great irony, science is leading us to the truth, is leading us to faith in God, to leading us to see the humanity of the unborn, and I have to say, obviously, I deal with science. I deal with all kinds of biblical archaeology. But the third part of the book, I deal with atheism itself. And there are two things in there, at least two things, that no one will know, and that is a headline. This is going to shock people. Two of the greatest atheists of the 20th century, uh, Albert Camus uh, and Jean-Paul Sartre, mm -hmm. both of them, no one knows this, both of them independently in 1960 and in 1980 came to faith. They had the bravery to look into the bleak abyss of atheism to say, can, can I face this? And at the end, both of them came to faith. No one knows this. It's a miracle that I discovered it. I put it in the book. And I have to tell you, Jenna, you know this, because since I've been canceled from YouTube and really have taken a beating in that way, I'm no longer shy about asking people, please go to my website, Please pre-order the book. Uh, some of the links where you can pre-order it on my website are 
incredibly cheap, 45% off. Uh, I don't care where you order it from. And I also want to ask people to sign up for my newsletter at my website, ericmetaxas.com, because since YouTube canceled me, I can't get my interviews and my videos uh, out mm -hmm. to people. So I say this and they need to shamelessly. Yeah, and, and you should, because as YouTube and other platforms are canceling the truth and they're canceling all um, opinion and evidence and fact that is contrary to their preferred propaganda and narrative, we have to not only support authors like you, but also go to the platforms where we can hear the truth. And that's why, uh, like the Salem Podcast Network, the Salem Radio Network is so important. And that's why it's also very important to support your work, Eric, and all of the things um, that you're doing, because this is something where I hope that people read this book. Um, if you're a Christian, read this book, because that's going to give you even more tools at your disposal and arsenal to provide a defense for your faith, but also give it to a friend who um, maybe is wrestling with questions or maybe hasn't even contemplated this before. Give it to your pastor. Um, but, but go and get this book because these types of things are so important to be reading. This is more important than, you know, the top trending, whatever doom scrolling on Twitter. What's <laughs> important here is that this is fact, it's evidence, and it's something that we need to, as Christians, realize for all the political commentary, we have to bring it back down to the truth. And that's always at the end of the day, what matters. People are going to walk differently once they've read this book. If you're a believer and you read this book, you're going to, in a sense, I actually think, and because it's happened to me, when you know all of this evidence, you think, oh my goodness, it's open and shut. I'm no longer being apologetic about talking about my faith. This is dramatic on every level, and I am going to do everything I can to talk about it. And it's going to be hard for me to take people seriously who mock my faith because I now know that they are being intellectually as silly and sloppy as possible. I'm going to, I'm We're just going to approach the whole thing differently. And, and, and people like us living through these tough times, we need to be encouraged. And I just believe yeah. the stuff in here, I mean, it is so dramatic that, you know, I've just shared a few things, but there, and there's other stuff. It's kind of crazy that we didn't already know this. So I'm just on a uh, on a crusade to get this stuff out there because I think people will just walk differently and, and feel different than uh, than they have when they know that science overwhelmingly in this day and age points to God. There's simply no question. Hmm. That's amazing, Eric. And I can't wait to read the book. So it's Is Atheism Dead? Uh, definitely go to any of uh, Eric's website, follow him on Twitter before he's canceled there. Follow him on all the social media platforms. Go to um, your website is ericmetaxas.com. Go there, pre-order the book, get one for a friend. And Eric, thanks so much for all of the work that you do and for also just being such a bold voice for the truth. We need more people who have courage like you to stand up and say, I don't care if I'm canceled. That doesn't matter. What matters is that I always speak the truth, present facts. And I think you are encouraging a lot of people to stand up boldly for truth, especially in a day and age in America where we never thought we would see this type of censorship. And so it's even more important that we have people like you that are encouraging the body of Christ. So thank you, my friend, so much for all the work that you do. And I look forward to talking with you soon. It's, uh, it's my honor. Thank you so much, Jenna. Good to see you. Great to see you too. Um, so one of the sponsors for The Jenna Ellis Show is my good friend, Mike Lindell. And by now, you've all heard me talk about MyPillow. And Mike now has done it again by introducing his new My Slippers 
so excited about these. Um, I have a pair of my slippers. They're kind of awesome. And he has taken over two years to develop these. They're designed to wear indoor or outdoor all day long. So this is important if you're like me and you have to like go to the package room, the mailbox, you can actually wear them outside, not just indoors and then have to put something more uncomfortable on to go outside. They're made with my pillow foam and impact gel to prevent fatigue and made with quality leather suede. So for a limited time, he's offering 50% off his new my slippers. So go to mypillow.com, click on the radio listener square and you can use the promo code Jenna, that's J E N N to get the new my slippers at this deep discount and on all my pillow products including the Giza dream bed sheets the my pillow mattress topper my pillow towel sets call 1-800-564-8475 or go to mypillow.com use the promo code jenna and of course support mike lindell because he has been uh absolutely canceled by a vicious, vicious leftist culture. And I'm so proud that Mike is a sponsor of the Jenna Ellis show because he is a very good friend and I'm very glad to support him as well. So use the promo code Jenna at mypillow.com or call 1-800-564-8475. And that will do it for us today on The Jenna Ellis Show. And wherever you are listening to this podcast, make sure that you subscribe for free so that you never miss an episode. And I will see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.